I need you to pray for me before I pray for us. Okay? I'm going to pray for the message today. But I want you to pray that God would free me up. I'm free because Christ set me free. But I want to preach like a man that's free. And not like a man that is concerned what you think or what anyone thinks. Or a man that, you know, yeah, I have notes. They keep me on point. But um, I don't need the notes. I need God. I want to be free as a preacher. There's, there are things that need to be heard. Therefore, there are things that need to be said. And um, I want to help people. And I know God heals and helps people through the word. So uh, you pray for me. And then I'll pray for us. Let's bow our heads. What a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before you. Heaven and earth adore you. You have made us a little lower than the angels. You've crowned us with dignity and purpose. You made us in your image. We are loved. And even when our foreparents fell away in sin and death, you intervened and you promised that your son would come to bring us back to you. That he would take our penalty upon himself so that we could go free. He was the scapegoat. He was the sacrificial lamb. That's good news. That because of his blood, we're forgiven today. Never to have our sins brought back up again, never to come under condemnation. We truly are free and whom the Son sets free, my God, we're free indeed. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set us free. Lord, may we not allow a defeated foe to just have authority in our lives. May we never allow a defeated devil to keep playing with our minds. But may we take the thoughts captive and Make them obedient to King Jesus. Fill us up with your Holy Spirit. Lord, give us that fire that we can be the witnesses you called us to be, not only with our lips, but also with our lives, that we won't be ashamed of the gospel. My God, have your way in our lives. Have your way in this church. May we not get casual in your presence. May we not take you for granted. May we not think it's just business as usual. But this is the day that you've made, and we're going to rejoice and be glad. And because you are here, Lord, miracles are possible. Because you're present, Lord, the lost can be found. The blind can receive their sight. Cancer can be cast down in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Those who are poor can find gainful employment and housing and transportation. Those who need to be educated can find school and assistance and mentors and tutors. Oh God, you're so awesome. Lord, I need your help with this word. Let us leave out, Lord, with a better understanding 
of this passage today. Ah, we give you the praise in advance. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. I take you back to 1989, 1990, 1991. I was in grad school. And although I was in grad school, I still was a sports fan. And one of the, I guess, uh, greatest teams to watch play college basketball was the UNLV Running Rebels. You millennials have no idea what I'm talking about right now. You didn't even know UNLV had a basketball team. But back in the day, they had Larry Johnson, Stacy Augman, uh, number 50, the boy with the big head, I can't remember his name, uh, became an analyst. Greg Anthony. Man, they played with attitude. And their coach, Jerry Tarkanian, would be on the sidelines biting a towel the whole game. <laughs> Them boys had fun. They went undefeated one year, won the national championship, was on their way to win the national championship the next year, but they lost to the Duke Blue Devils. Bobby Hurley, how come there's a shout about Duke over here? <laughs> now, the name of the university is the Rebels, and they call the women teams there the Lady Rebels. But the men's basketball team took it upon themselves to add the word running, not running, but run in. Because when you win in, they let you do stuff and get away with it. So they became known as the running rebels. And that was in 19, as I mentioned, 89, 90, 91. But brothers and sisters, I need to let you know today that they aren't the original running rebels. The original running rebel, sometime, he, he ran his race somewhere around 538 B.C., somewhere around that time, he was running, and his name was Jonah, the first running rebel. Now, I'm setting you up because I want you to come to this Bible study that starts next Sunday, so I hope today I can wet your taste buds because it's good to study the Bible. We love to give our teachers a break during the summer, just like our teachers in school need a break. Our teachers here need a break, and sometimes students need a break. But we also know that this is God's house, and some of y'all say, hey, man, let's keep it going. Can we get together and study the Word? So yes, uh, the elders and I, we're going to be leading a four-week Bible study on the original running rebel, Jonah. Now, uh, when Jonah got his call from God to go to Nineveh and preach, Nineveh was about 550 miles away from where he was to the east. But Brother Man put on his sneakers and ran down to Joppa and got on a boat headed for Tarshish, which was about 2,500 miles in the opposite direction 
of where he was supposed to go. Because when you're out of the will of God, it's always a longer trip. And so he's running from this calling on his life. And we all know about the great fish that is, uh, that, that, that swallows him up in chapter, at the end of chapter one. Um, but I, I, I want to throw out something today, a thought. We, we, we know he ran. But that was just a symptom of a deeper issue. His feet were just telling on where his heart was. And I want you to hang with me today because I want us to dig a little deeper into this to find out why he ran. He just wasn't being disobedient. But there was a reason why he ran, and there are reasons why we run from God or from the assignment that God gives to us. So today, let's talk about the mistake of Jonah. The mistake of Jonah. And as we'll do with this message, as we do with all these messages, we're going to look at the grace of God that superabounded over his mistakes and over his sin. So we're going to see his mistakes so that we can see our mistakes. But we're also going to see the grace of God so that we can be encouraged with how good our God is and how he works with us. But let me just hook you up with a little bit of context. Chapter 1, Jonah ran. Chapter 2, Jonah prayed. Chapter 3, Jonah preached. And chapter 4, Jonah pouted. So let's go over to the climax, chapter 4, where Jonah pouted. Because, again, we like to hang out with the fish. And we like to ask wonderful uh, apologetic questions, uh, can a fish really swallow a man? And, and we get lost in all that stuff. There are people who say, oh, this story is fiction, it's not real. Oh, it's real. According to the book of 2 Kings, Jonah was a prophet in the northern kingdom who preached during the reign of King Jeroboam II. Oh, he was real. He's so real that Jesus talked about him. And Jesus didn't talk about all of the prophets in the Old Testament by name, but Jonah was one of the ones he talked about. So the brother was real. Yes, and the fish was real too. But let's look at this man's mistake in chapter 4 where he was pouting. Let's start in chapter 4, verse 1. And I want you to see something. I want you to see the anger of Jonah. It says in verse 1, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Stop and pause. What displeased Jonah exceedingly? Well, if we were to go back to chapter 3, it was the fact that God relented and had mercy on the Ninevites or the Assyrian people. God was going to judge them because of their wickedness. If we had time, we would talk about the book of Nahum and how Nahum gives us some characteristics of the people in Nineveh the Assyrians, how they were bloodthirsty, violent people. They would decapitate their victims, take the blood, and write graffiti on the walls. They, they were just people who were known for their carnage. And God was about to visit them with judgment. But because he's gracious, he wanted to give them an opportunity to repent. And Jonah, the reluctant prophet, 
went to Nineveh and preached for a space of three days as he walked through the whole city telling them to repent. And lo and behold, they repented and God relented from the destruction he was going to bring on them. But rather than celebrating, Jonah was angry. Jonah was displeased. So it displeased Jonah. What is it? That God had mercy on those people. Stay with me. So the Bible says, and he became angry. Now this word angry is going to be used four times in chapter 4 to speak about Jonah's disposition. It's a Hebrew word that means to burn or to be hot. So in other words, Jonah was ticked off. He was so hot that you could fry an egg on his forehead. That's how hot he was. So he was mad, angry. Oh, we're going to talk about that a little bit more in a moment. So he prayed to the Lord, verse 2. Now, when you come to the Bible study with us that starts next week, you will see that this prayer in chapter 4 is different from the prayer he prays in chapter 2. <laughs> chapter 2, when he's in the bottom of an ocean, in the bottom of a great fish's belly, oh, that prayer is like, oh, God, help up, brother. But once he gets on land, it's almost as if his heart was left in the fish. Because now when he's praying, his attitude is completely different than where he was in chapter 2 when he was broken. Now he's on his feet. Now he's going about his business, and he's angry, and he prays to the Lord. What does he say? He says, ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. So he said, I'm mad because I know what kind of God you are. You are a God who forgives people. You are a merciful God. And I don't want those people forgiven. That's why I didn't want to accept the mission in the first place, because I knew you would forgive them. So I ran from you because I didn't want to do this mission. But God is so good, he won't let you quit on him, because he won't quit on you. You failed this grade, you're going to take it again, which is why in chapter 3, the fish spit Jonah out, and the Bible says the word came to him a second time, go to Nineveh. He adjusted his feet that time, but his attitude wasn't right because of those people. So he said, Lord, I'm running because I don't want to see them receive mercy. Now, this is a prophet. Reminds me of many evangelical Christians today who claim to love God but don't like those people. This word is relevant if you got ears to hear it. I don't want to be like that, as Pastor Jerry talked about where Memorial Day comes from and how this started with slaves honoring the dead who died during the Civil War, when there were people who claimed to be Christians who didn't think slaves were humans, but yet they still worshiped their God. How can that be? 
There's a disconnect. So we see that Jonah had a disconnect. He didn't care for those people. But can I tell you, he's a hypocrite because he knows God is merciful. How does he know? Because he just experienced mercy himself in chapter 2 when God delivered him from the guts of the whale. So shouldn't it be that people who get mercy from God should be the quickest to give mercy to other folk? Or did he think that God only was merciful to Jewish people? Because when we make God after our own image, we ascribe our prejudices to him. And we think he's only for us or for our party or for our ethnicity or for our nation. Now, God blessed the Jewish people. Yes, he did. And through the Jews, he would send the Messiah, the word of God, the covenants. But he blessed them to be a blessing. Remember what he said to Abraham in chapter 12 of Genesis? I am blessing you so that every family on the face of the earth can be blessed. Salvation is going to come to the Jew first, but then to Gentiles. But in the Old Testament, the Jews got self-righteous in their relationship with God. And rather than sharing about Yahweh, they kept him to themselves. And they shun other nations. But again, here's the hypocrisy. There's really not much different from an Israelite and a Ninevite because they're both sinful and broken and need mercy from God. But here's Jonah. I'm receiving mercy, but I'm not giving mercy. That's a hypocrite. But I'm so glad God is patient with him as he is with us. Jonah said, God, I know who you are. You're gracious. And what that means is that God gives life that is undeserved. Grace, I'm going to give you life when you don't deserve life. Mercy, I'm going to withhold death when you deserve death. That went too fast. Went right over your head. I'm going to say it one more time. Because Jonah said, you are gracious. That means you give life that is undeserved. What do we deserve? Death. But you're also merciful. You withhold death that is deserved. So he knows who God is, but he just doesn't live like he knows God. Because mm. if you know God, you should be gracious and you should be merciful because God is gracious and merciful to you. So he does what a lot of kids do in the cereal aisle in Kroger. I want Cap'n Crunch with the berries. And God says, no, nah, we're not doing that right now. We're doing these cornflakes over here with no sugar in them. What does that kid do? Fall out in aisle number five. <laughs> and throw a temper tantrum because he or she can't get his way with mama or daddy. Jonah throws a temper tantrum because he can't get his way. What's his way? To see those people destroyed. That's what he wanted. But God says, no, I'm not doing that. And when he said, uh, I, I want those people destroyed. In other words, God, 
I don't like how you're merciful to them. I like how you're merciful to me. I don't like how you do things with them. I like how you do it with me. Matter of fact, I wish I was you. Because if I was you, I'd do things a whole lot differently. So part of his running from God was that he couldn't change God. And he didn't want to submit to God. And he didn't want to love the way God called him to love and the Jewish people to love. He's one of the only few prophets that has a specific message to Gentiles to get right with God. As a matter of fact, he is the only one. But he doesn't want that mission. But watch how God works. Because just because you deliver the word don't mean that you're above the word that you deliver. Because the mission, yeah, go and preach to the Ninevites so they can be spared. But I'm also working on the preacher because I know the preacher needs to go on this mission because of what the mission's going to teach him. It's just not for the other person. It's also for the deliverer of the message. And Jonah knew God was working on him because his animosity towards those people didn't begin in chapter 1 of Jonah he had already had that because when Jonah 1-1 starts, it starts with the conjunction and. Jonah 1 starts with the word and, meaning that this story is continuous. We don't know the first part before Jonah 1, but God picks it up 1-1 and the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Why? Because he knew his prophet was prejudiced. He knew his prophet was a racist. He knew his prophet was self-righteous and religious. So, yeah, I'm going to send you on the mission for them, but in this mission, I got a word for you, too. Because when you point a finger, don't forget you got three of them pointing right back at you. Let me tell you about self-righteous folk. They got a thousand telescopes, in microscopes, rather, in their repertoire. They got a thousand microscopes and no mirrors. They look at everybody else's stuff, but not their own. That's Pharisee. That's a self-righteous person. That's a religious person, and that's why he's angry four times. He's hot. He's bothered. He's upset. Verse 3, so because God relented, he says, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. You're real mad when you want to die. You don't get your way, so you want to take your ball and go home. You don't get your way, so you want to die. So rather than dying to his anger, he'd rather die in his anger. I hope I'm talking to somebody that struggles with anger. God says, uh, I sent you here this morning to get encouraged because anger is a dangerous thing to allow to fester in your life and in my life. So the Lord said to him in verse 4, is it right for you to be angry? You all mad want to die. Do you have a right to be angry? And the answer should be no. It should be, I repent, I'm sorry. 
But what did Jonah do? So Jonah went out the city. He, he, he left the church because the church got on his last nerve, telling him the truth and love, and he don't want to deal with it. So he left, went out of the city, and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter or a booth and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. Stop! God has relented. Forty days, Nineveh shall be destroyed. Them folk repented. Not only did they repent, the king repented. And they even put sackcloth on the animals. They fasted. They, oh, Lord, we're sorry for our sins. We worship all these other gods, but here this dude coming in town with seaweed wrapped all over him. We're listening to this cat. Because we know, yeah, we've been tripping. They repent. God relents. Jonah, why are you angry? <clears throat> Get my stuff. I'm going outside. I'm going to watch to see what's going to happen. Nothing going to happen. But you're still holding out hope that God will do what you want him to do, which is crush these folks. You still want God to be like you. God ain't going to be like you. You need to be like him. So when he sits down to watch what's going to happen to the city, he's going back in his prophetic mind to the book of Genesis when God judged Sodom and Gomorrah by raining fire and brimstone down upon that city. So he's trying to get a front row seat to another destruction of a, to a destruction of another city. Got his lawn chair out, the cooler, the grill, everything. <laughs> he gonna watch to see what's gonna happen. And now, can I show you the patience of God here? God is so patient. <laughs> Look at verse six. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah. Because the booth really wasn't enough. The shelter wasn't enough. It's hot out there. So God says, let me help my prophet out. I, I have to teach him another lesson right now about grace. I'm going to prepare a plant. And he made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. Who's miserable? The person that's mad with God for God not doing what they want God to do. You're miserable, you're mad, you're hot. God didn't give this to me. God didn't do that to my enemy. God, where are you? I'm just mad with God. He's miserable. But God says, here's grace. The booth is insufficient, but I'll give you a plant. The booth is like religion, man-made stuff that you do to try to do right. It doesn't help. The plant is like grace. Through Jesus, I'm going to give you the shade that you need. So watch my boy in the next sentence. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Again, sun all on his head. And, and in a minute, the wind going to hit his head. I think the brother was bald. Or at least had a George Jefferson cul-de-sac or something going on. He's going to talk about his head in a minute. But he went from being miserable to being soothed. So God is trying to teach his prophet another lesson. Just because the pastor teaches doesn't mean the pastor doesn't need to be taught. Don't get it twisted. 
Just because you're delivering the word don't mean the word don't need to be delivered to you. Never think you're better than people because you're a prophet or you're a leader. God's got something for you too. And Jonah gets grateful for the plant. Oh, but as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm. And it so damaged the plant that it withered. God's teaching this boy a lesson. God says, okay, I thought that whalogram was going to wake your behind up. That whalogram didn't get you all the way, huh? So let me, let me send this plant. Then I'm going to send this worm. And the worm eats the plant and it withers. Verse 8, and it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind, a hot breeze. You ever been somewhere and the breeze is hot? You need a cool breeze. Oh, man, the breeze is hot, just it's sticky. You just, ugh, you're miserable. Ugh. That's what's going on here. And so the east wind comes, and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Now he ready to pass out. Then he wished death for himself and said, it's better for me to die than to live. There he goes again. Here's grace. God didn't answer that prayer the first time he prayed that thing. I just want to die. God could have said, okay. God let him live. Then he says it again. I just wish I was dead because I'd rather die than submit because I'm stubborn like that. Being stubborn can be a strength to be a prophet and preach and go places. You got to have some stubbornness about you. But your strength can also be your weakness if you're not careful. Because now you're stubborn and you're fighting against God rather than fighting with God and for God. Mad. Oh, it reminds me when we were newlyweds. And we lived in the Hickory Woods apartments in Nashville, Tennessee. Newlyweds. And whenever we would get into a disagreement, it was usually around food or frequency of relations. I had to say that, you know, right, because we got students in here. <laughs> food or frequency of relations. We have fights. I know none of y'all don't have disagreements in y'all's marriages, but I'm telling you about mine. We'd be in a grocery store and she picking out turkey meat. Like, that ain't real meat. Get ground meat. And we would fight. We'd fight over white bread and wheat bread, vitamin D milk, 2% milk. Man, we fight. And then one night, we're having a disagreement, and I pulled a James Evans. I walked out. You know how he's walked out in Florida before? I walked out the house. My daddy never did that. I don't know. What, I'm getting that from Hellavision. <laughs> Hellavision told me a vision, and I walked out like James Evans. And I'm sitting outside mad, hot. And the Holy Ghost comes up like a dove. Because you do know Jonah's name in Hebrew means dove. But he used that thing to fly away. But God is like, I want to talk to you about my gentle voice to you. And God came and he said to my spirit, he said, um, you mad, huh? I said, yeah, I'm mad. You, you don't know what she doing to me. You don't know how she's stretching me. She getting on my nerve. And God was like, okay, all right. Chauncey asked me a simple question. He said, um, if a burglar came 
into your apartment right now, would you go in there and protect her? I said, absolutely, Lord. So then the Lord is like, would you be willing to die for her if someone tried to hurt her? I said, absolutely, Lord. So the Lord said, uh, if you're willing to die for her, why can't you die to yourself? Pride, 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 pride. But pride had my behind outside and not inside. Where you want to be, bro? Outside or inside? Pride has to die. And so when you come back, when you come back, the humble pie that you got to eat is dry. But if you don't eat it, it gets drier and drier and drier. And when you can humble yourself under God's mighty hand and humble yourself to your spouse, that's when you get grace. But when you can't humble yourself, he withholds grace, the thing that you need. But he can't give it to you if you think you're self-sufficient and you don't need him. My God, this man was so mad, he'd rather die in his anger than die to his anger. And I'm here to say some of y'all are so angry about stuff that's happened to you in the past, stuff that somebody has done to you, that it's, it's so frustrating the quality of your life now. You walk around with a balled up fist all the time. You, you don't trust nobody because of what somebody else did to you. You're just mad. And the Bible says in James chapter 1 that every man should be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to become what? Angry. For the wrath of man cannot produce the righteous life that God requires. You can't live for God being angry. You know why? Because when you're angry, you're focused on yourself. And you can't focus on yourself and live for Jesus. Jesus says you got to deny yourself. Anger is about pride, but pride must be crucified. So we would think, man, th this thing is over, right? Jonah says, it's better for me to die. Verse 9, then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? So here it is now. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, it is right for me to be angry even to death. Boy, watch your mouth. God is so patient that he lets his children talk to him like this. Now, don't get it twisted. Now, don't, don't take his kindness for weakness. Kids out here. Sometimes you talk back to your parents and they don't knock you out. You experience grace and mercy. Now, parents, we need to be slow on the one-two combination, though. You know what I'm saying? We don't need to pull that out every time, you know. We need to teach our kids a little bit about grace and mercy, you know. Let's learn how to parent by watching God parent us. Because he asked Cain the same questions. Because Cain was mad that his brother Abel's offering was being received by God and his wasn't. He was angry. And God said to Cain, do you have a right to be angry? And he should have said, no, Lord. But because he didn't deal with his anger, it ended up leading to murder, and he killed his brother. 
God is saying, I got to deal with that thing because it's messing up your future. Don't nobody want to hire you all mad. Don't nobody want to marry you all mad. Let it go. What God has for you is in front of you, not behind you. Forget those things which are behind. Forgive those people for yourself. And stop being so angry. So God says, uh, you care more about a plant than you care about people. Why? Look at verse 10 as we wrap this up. But the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in the night and perished in the night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock? If you can't discern between your right hand and your left hand, that means you're a child. That means you're a baby. And in that city, God is saying there are 120,000 children, babies in this city, not counting adults. Should I not have pity on them? You got the nerve to be pity, have pity on a plant that you ain't have nothing to do with. And you can't have pity on people who are just as broken as you are. What's wrong with your prophet Jonah? You got to get the lesson, man. What kind of Jewish man, what kind of prophet, what kind of person who claims to know Yahweh is okay with children dying? You so mad that you're okay if God destroys the city and kills 120,000 children that you saw when you walked through them streets. How your heart get here, man? And that's what trips me out about religious people today who claim to know God but don't have a problem with children being separated from their families and locked in cages and dying under government custody. How you say you know God? And that doesn't break your heart. And you talk more about what their parents shouldn't have done. You're more political than spiritual. You're more political than biblical. You need to get out of partisanship and get back into Christianity. Because if you don't care about children, and yet you claim to be pro-life. You're not pro-life if you only care about children in the womb and not children in school who are getting shot up in school, dying to protect your amendment right to own guns and not have those gun laws checked. You don't even want to come close to touching, uh, what is that, the Second Amendment? You don't even want to touch that. But you claim to know God. Say, what? There's a dead monkey on the line. Something ain't computing. You're not pro-life. You're just pro-unborn. You're pro-womb. But let me flip it because I'm an equal opportunity preacher. Don't roll up on me talking about you pro-choice. And the choice of the child doesn't enter into your politics, only the choice of the mother. <laughs> you're not pro-choice. You're just pro-mother. And I don't have to be a woman to speak up for children in the womb. 
I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. I'm just somebody that is a child of God that sees that God loves all people, all ages, and gives men an opportunity to repent. So we as Christians, we, we got to drop some of these political tags and, and we got to get off them bandwagons where elephants and donkeys are running our lives. Man. You see, the God I serve is the God of life who has a sovereign choice. Jeremiah 1.5, God said to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. He didn't say before I formed this protoplasm in the womb, uh, before I formed this fetus. Medically, yes, we call it a fetus. Uh -huh. But God also says it's a person. But we call it a fetus so that we feel better about what we're killing. But God says, boy, before I formed you, not in it, in the womb, I knew you. So who are we to take life in the womb? Now, I know there are some, 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 some delicate situations. We're not talking about those minuscule things that come up, rape, incest, the, the life of the mother. The, yeah, those things are real, and God gives us grace to deal with those things when they come. But to just put a blanket this way or a blanket that way and not really care about life out of the womb or life in the womb, like Jonah, we need to do some repenting. But watch this, y'all. Watch this. Watch, watch the response of this brother. God says, should I not have pity? Again, the answer should be, yes, Lord, you should have pity. And thank you for having pity on me. But what is his answer? So point number three, the response of Jonah, verse number, wait a minute, verse number, wait a minute, verse number. There's no response. He's so mad and set in his ways. He's not ready to change. He's not ready to repent. Listen, the people he preached to, them heathens, repented unto God when God's man didn't even repent. Oh, gosh. So the book of Jonah ends, and we don't know what he did. Did he repent eventually? Did he not? Don't know. But the Bible is literature as well as a historical narrative of facts and stories. It's literature. And it's written that way so that we can insert ourselves into the story and say, wow, if I was Jonah, what would I do? It's kind of like when Jesus gives the parable of the prodigal son. And we talk about the son that, you know, went wayward, but we don't talk a lot about the older brother who was angry and frustrated. And he starts talking to the father disrespectfully, just like Jonah does. And the father in that parable says, should I not have celebrated my son who was lost and now he's found? Should we not be celebrating him? And that parable ends and you don't know if the older brother adjusted his attitude. Because Jesus is saying, you Pharisees are the older brother. Are you going to adjust your attitude because God is being merciful to sinners? 
or you're going to stand outside the house with your arms crossed, upset that God is having mercy on sinners. (laughs) I don't want to be like Jonah, and I surely don't want to be like the older brother. When God turns that mirror on me, I want to say, Lord, I'm so sorry. Who am I to withhold mercy from someone when you have not withheld mercy from me? I have no right to be angry because anger is dangerous. Why? Ephesians chapter 4 says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. So when my anger is unrighteous, I'm giving the devil an opportunity. (laughs) I'm tired of giving him a foothold that turns into a stronghold. I'm going to repent. I'm going to draw nigh to God. He will draw nigh to me. I'm going to resist that devil and watch him flee. Jonah had an opportunity. Don't know what he did. Where's the grace of God? The grace of God is seen in this passage because God used a flawed prophet. All of us are flawed, and he still uses us. God spared the Ninevites. That's grace. The Bible says that in Romans 2.4, that God's kindness leads us to repentance. It's not our repentance that causes God to be kind. I said it too fast. It's God's goodness and mercy that leads us to repentance. Not our repentance that causes God to be kind to us. Because some of us think, if I do the right thing, he'll be kind to me. No, no. I'm responding to his love to me, and I repent. It's just a different attitude. It's more about God than it is about me. And where's their grace? God let Jonah live. Man, he let him live. With all that lip, he let him live. And he's letting you live. He's letting me live. He's a good father. Jonah couldn't control God, and it made him angry. God didn't do what he wanted God to do. It made him hot. But God doesn't need Jonah's permission or yours to be God. We just need to submit and obey. And along the way, there's a blessing in it for us if we trust him. Somebody's been running from God because you're mad at him. He allowed your grandmother to die. He allowed divorce to happen in your life. He... Something didn't go right, and you're mad. And rather than running to him, you're running from him. Would you stand to your feet now, because I want to pray with you. You got to trust him, that he knows more than you know, and he cares more than you care. If you don't let it go, it's going to consume you and destroy you. Let it go. Trust him. Let's pray. God, I thank you for being so patient with Jonah and patient with us. Wow. Mm. We're so selfish, egotistical, wrong. We get angry over stuff we shouldn't even be angry about. We're hurt. And we turn around and hurt other people. 
quality of our lives is not where it ought to be. We see a prophet who's angry and all alone. Who's looking more for judgment than he is for grace. We can identify with this man when we're pouting. When we don't get our way. When we're okay with other people's suffrage. Our hearts are not broken and burdened at all. But thank you for the word. Thank you that you spoke to us today. And for that man, woman, boy, or child who's just struggling, just so angry. Some of us are angry and we don't know why. Thank you that you're big enough and in love with us enough, Lord, that we can just tell you. We, we, we can beat your chest, if, we, if you will, and just say, Lord, we're mad. Because until we name that thing, we can't get delivered from that thing. Set your people free, Lord. I ask that I could be free today. I, I want to walk in my freedom. Let your people walk free. You just didn't die to take us to heaven. You, you want us walking in freedom now. So we yield. Please forgive us. And give us the grace to forgive people that we don't think are worthy of your mercy, worthy of our mercy. Who are we? Who are we to withhold grace? Oh, my God. Now unto him who's able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before his throne with exceeding joy to the only wise God our Savior be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forevermore. And all of God's people say, amen. Uh, can you former or current running rebels give somebody a hug up in here? You, you're working on the, God working on a rebellion. Come on, come on, hug somebody before you go. You got to hug somebody before you go. <laughs> See you at Bible study next week, 9 o'clock. See you at Bible study next week, 9 o'clock.